You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 700 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you live on MLK Day in the evening, back here in my home studio after attending what became a pretty interesting game, actually, between the Hawks and the Raptors in what is basically an annual tradition up there at State Farm Arena. And uh, we'll talk about the game for the most part on this podcast. I do want to take a second to thank everybody for listening to the podcast, subscribing to the podcast. Of course, this is episode episode 700. And, uh, you know, I usually try to do a little bit bigger shows on the milestone occasions, but with the way the schedule broke, I had to break down the game. So uh, here we are by myself for the uh, next hundredth episode. But thank you for listening to the podcast, everybody. I really appreciate everybody who's uh, tuned in at any point along the way and uh, hopefully 700 more plus to come. But uh, thank you as always before we get started here on the podcast. So, um, as a reminder, by the way, I did, I did a bunch of recent shows, including a visit from Ben Ladner at the end of last week. That was a fun one, about an hour-long deep dive into some trade stuff, some recap podcasts from Friday and Saturday, and uh, this one that you're about to hear. So click the subscribe button right now. I really, really appreciate all of that. Okay, before we get to the game itself, there was an interesting um, report slash release slash story about Chandler Parsons on Monday afternoon. For some background here, the Hawks released a statement on January 15th that Parsons was was Parsons was, was in a car crash and had been diagnosed with a concussion and whiplash. Um, that's about you know a week ago now, as we as we discussed this. Um, at that point, he entered the NBA concussion protocol, and that was the last update that the Hawks provided on Parsons. Since then, they've been listing him as out with concussion, whiplash, etc. And uh, there you go on that. But as of Monday, Parsons retained the services of Morgan and Morgan, which in a release that. That law firm described itself as the nation's largest plaintiff's law firm. Um, and the release from Morgan & Morgan, which was originally shared by Chris Haynes that I saw, and then I actually got my hands on the actual release itself from Morgan & Morgan, it says that, he, that Parsons suffered multiple severe and permanent de- injuries, including a traumatic brain injury, disc herniation, and a torn labrum. Um, just for people that are listening to this podcast, it might, it might, sound, it might sound pretty brutal to hear traumatic brain injury. Um, that could certainly be a concussion, which is just the way the Hawks uh, announced that. So I wouldn't panic too much about that one, but alas... Elsewhere in that release, it, it sort of details the crash. And uh, by the way, the AJC got more details on this that they attained, obtained in a, in a police report. So shout out to Sarah Spencer, Chris Moore, everybody over there at the AJC. If you want to read more about the crash itself, they have a good story about that, sort of rounding up the stuff about the uh, police report, et cetera, et cetera. But um, basically, it was about 2 o'clock on uh, the 15th when uh, Parsons, after leaving the team's practice, was involved in a three-car crash. And the uh, driver is now being char- charged with DUI, apparently. The statement, though, from Morgan & Morgan caused a lot of attention across the national landscape today because it basically referred to this as a potential to, quote, end Mr. Parsons' career as a professional athlete. And later in the release, it says that, quote, his ability to return to play is unclear, end quote. Um, So the takeaways here. I will say this, this is not meant to be, you know, inflammatory at all, but Morgan & Morgan has been hired by Parsons. They're a personal injury law firm. So obviously they're going to be it's sort of in their best interest to make this sound as bad as it possibly could be, as, as bad as that is uh, to say out loud. It is sort of in their interest to do that. 
So I have my guard up a little bit about the uh, statement itself, but still very, very scary stuff. And uh, Parsons certainly was in the car wreck and not not doing all that well from what it seems to be. Um, there was some reporting done out of Houston about Austin Rivers saying that, uh, I guess he talked to someone around Parsons, escape from Jonathan Fager, the Houston Chronicle, um, basically saying that he's improving, but nothing uh, nothing great at this point in time. So uh, Parsons has been obviously away from the team throughout this, por- this portion of the uh, schedule. And obviously, I hope that Chandler is and will be okay. It's definitely brutal um, just that he had to go through this and all that stuff. So we'll see what happens from this point forward. Um, from a basketball standpoint, people were asking me questions about you know basketball stuff. I'm going to leave most of that for later on when it's not just right after this. But um, the torn labrum that was included in the reporting, um, I guess the release from Morgan and Morgan was a new injury that no one else has touched on. If that is the case, if he has a torn labrum, even if the concussion or everything else that he has were to heal, a torn labrum would definitely keep Parsons out for the rest of the season. He probably wasn't going to play for the Hawks anyway, honestly, for the rest of the year, and they might elect to trade him or release him, etc. But um, the labrum is the one thing that the Hawks have not touched on at this point in time, so that's something that I'm, I'll be monitoring in the future. Um, you know, no, there's been no team statement since this. I did ask the Hawks. They kind of no commented. Um, but the Morgan, Morgan release um, is out there. It made the national round, so we'll see if that um, comes to fruition beyond this and anything else comes out of this. We will definitely pass it along to you. But the Hawks did um, on their official injury report between Sunday and Monday, you know, the day before the Hawks will list the official injury report as they did in this game with Alex Lynn on it and Jabari Parker on it, etc. On that initial report, they uh, listed Parsons a little bit differently, but on the update on Monday after the Morgan & Morgan release became public, the Hawks added, quote, associated disc injury to um, Parsons' official injury list official injury listing, which was certainly part of the release from Morgan Morgan, that which they listed as disc herniation. So we'll see if there's anything different there, but the, the Hawks did make a change of some sort. No further comment from them at this time, but I want to at least open the podcast with that because it became a national story. We will see, you know, I'm always um, loath to kind of just take anybody's word for it on this stuff, whether it be team or lawyer, etc. And uh, we're going to need to hear, hear the full story about the injury stuff moving forward. But it does seem fairly safe to say that the Parsons will not, will not be playing basketball for the Hawks, if the, especially if the labor thing comes to fruition. But even with a concussion at this point in time, I can't imagine him suiting up for the Hawks again this year. And we'll come back to this as we need to. So before we get to the game itself, I do want to take a quick moment now to sort of set the stage and talk to you about the good folks from Indeed. When you start the hiring process, you may have questions. Will you find good applicants to choose from? What about education and experience? And how will you know if you made the right hire? Well, Indeed is here to help millions of great candidates use Indeed every day to find their next opportunity. You can post a job in minutes and use the screener questions to help you create a short list of applicants and do it fast. You can also add skills tests to your job post so you can be confident in your applicants' abilities. And Indeed's library of more than 50 skills tests range from industry-specific Skills like accounting to general aptitude tests like critical thinking. Indeed gives you these smart tools to make hiring decisions quickly and to be confident that you're giving that you're making the right hire for your team. Post your job today at indeed.com slash locked on and get a free sponsored job upgrade on your first job posting. That is indeed.com slash locked on. Terms and conditions and exclusions apply. Offer valid through March 31st, 2020. All right, and we're back to talk about the game itself. And, uh, yeah, a very interesting one. As I said before, obviously the Parsons news kind of dominated the discussion before tip-off, but um, once things got going close to it, by the way, I have to say, my favorite intro, my favorite pregame experience of the season is always MLK Day with the choir intros. I'm a big fan of those. Uh, go ahead and watch the video if you missed it on, I believe, the Hawks, tw- uh, Fox, Hawks official Twitter put, it, put that out there, as well as uh, Fox Sports Southeast. So you can definitely find it if you want to find it. But um, basically they bring in a choir to sing the names of, starting lineup, of the starting lineup for the Hawks. It's always a fun time. 
and I always enjoy that in a big way. Um, but in terms, in terms of the game itself, the Hawks did not have a full back-to-back here, but obviously they played pretty late into the night on Saturday and then had the early, the early game on Monday. No travel, though, which is nice. Toronto had won three in a row, but they were at least having to travel in this spot. The Hawks were without Alex Lynn for the fourth straight game. Um, Lloyd Pierce did say that he was optimistic about Lynn playing on Wednesday potentially and said he was much improved, but with the early tip in this game, they couldn't get him ready to go for Sunday. Parker, no uh, official update at this point in time, but the Hawks opened as eight-point underdogs, actually closed nine-point underdogs, and that, that became very interesting later on. A lot of the gambling websites were rounding this game up because the Hawks, of course, were down big, big late, spoiler alert, and then came all the way back to cover and almost win this contest. Uh, to the game itself... First quarter, um, kind of an ominous start in some ways with the Raptors scoring the first seven points in the first 91 seconds. That prompted a timeout from Lloyd Pierce. A um, couple of turnovers for the Hawks in that stretch and uh, three offensive rebounds for Toronto. Kind of a perfect storm hitting there and Toronto actually scored the first nine points before Kevin Herter hit a corner three to sort of break the drought in some respects. Uh, they went to Bruno Fernando after that. Bruno um, got into foul trouble, though, pretty much pretty much early. And then, you know, a lot of foul trouble throughout this game. Boy Pierce acknowledged that after the game as well. Just a lot of shorthandedness, some lineup stuff that I don't think that Pierce wanted to have to do. But with the all the, foul, all the fouls between Collins and Fernando and Hunter and Herter, everybody was in foul trouble, it seemed, and that kind of affected things for the most part. The Hawks just struggled to score in the early going. Only three points in the first four and a half minutes. They did wake up after that, which was fortunate because they would have gotten blown out if they hadn't. Um, but early on, it was Reddish actually had the first foul trouble with two fouls. He came out of the game. They went to, they went to Teague alongside Trey Young in the first quarter. But Bruno has, Bruno has a couple of nice flashes that I wanted to point out. He had a nice uh, rim attack from the corner to cut to the lead um, down to two. Bruno was active, I thought, around the, around the basket and was by far, by the way, um, the best backup center in the spot for the Hawks, which, which we'll talk about as we get going here. Troy Young had it going in the first the first quarter, more, mostly as a passer. He had five assists in the first nine minutes, including a couple of high-end feeds to Fernando and Collins for dunks. Um, and sort of an ominous thing happened late in the first quarter when Trey Young sat on the bench. The Hawks were kind of beat up a little bit. He came back pretty quickly um, because Jeff T, got, Jeff T got two fouls, but also because they needed Trey Young to come back into the game. And then a late first quarter run by the Raptors to go up by 12. It was a 12-2 run by Toronto, and then Atlanta kind of punched back a little bit to get down by only 11. But defensively, it was pretty rough in the early going. Offensively, they actually shot the ball well throughout the game, but turnovers were a problem. They had eight turnovers in the first quarter. That will kill your offense, and that did in the first quarter of this contest. But even in the first 12 minutes, the Raptors had 14 points off turnovers and 24 points in the paint. That's a bad recipe for the Hawks. But fortunately, they did come back and uh, play well in the second quarter of this contest. That was definitely the high point of the game, a 35-21 to quarter in the second for Atlanta. An 8-0 run by the Hawks to open up the uh, second quarter um, to get back within get back within three at 40 to 37. A couple of threes by Kevin Herter, sandwiched around a steal and jump shot by Cam Reddish. Um, the Hawks actually opened seven of 14 from three in this game of the whole game, and a lot of that was in the first part of the second quarter. They actually had four threes in the first five minutes of the second quarter, um, three for Herter at that point in time, and two for Hunter as well. A 23 to nine overall run from the Hawks in the first seven minutes to go up by a three point margin after trailing by as many as 12. The Raptors could not buy a bucket during this stretch. Also, a nice, weak, a nice weak side block that I wanted to point out from DeAndre Hunter, who was very, very active. More of that would be good for the Hawks moving moving forward here in the season and, of course, and honestly, for his career. The Raptors didn't score for more than four minutes, and the Hawks uh, were playing very very well on both ends of the floor for a lot of the second quarter. Um, there was a nice little uh, return from Fred Van Vliet, who had four points in about 10 seconds span sort of st- to sort of uh, steady things a little bit, but the Hawks took the lead back with the uh, Raptors missing even more threes. In fact, Toronto opened this game 3 of 21 from three, and it got worse from there for a while. Um, but uh, a nice, also a nice move that I want to point out that was Hunter had this nice 
pump rake drive and dunk move. That was a uh, Definitely what you want to see from him, attacking closeouts in a strong way. Um, they've kind of skipped Jeff Teague in the rotation for the second quarter, and then they brought him in with about a minute to go. A little bit strange there, um, but we just wanted to uh, shed some light on that, just the fact that he did not play a whole lot there. They went back to, um, basically, they ran a no-point guard lineup for a stretch there that ended with um, Reddish turning the ball over in the backcourt against Van Vliet, then they went back to Young. So they kind of skipped Teague, but he played at the end, and it did play in the second half, so it wasn't like it was an injury things or anything like that for Jeff. At the last minute... Kind of interesting. Trey Young got a technical foul with 30 seconds to go in the half, leading to a three-point possession from Toronto. But the Hawks still went up by three um, going into halftime based on a nice offensive quarter. In fact, the Hawks at the halftime break had a 19 percentage point advantage in true shooting over the Raptors. 67% from true shooting for the Hawks, 48% from Toronto. But the game was virtually tied because Toronto bludgeoned the Hawks on the offensive glass and also got all the turnover luck in this spot. Also just havoc and all that stuff. But the Hawks were shooting the ball well. It was never the problem in this game, but they were still only up by three. And that I guess that proved to be a little bit ominous in the second half of this contest. But the defense was actually pretty good in the second quarter. They had some help from Toronto, to be sure, with 4 for 24 from 3 in the first half. Uh, by the way, the second quarter alone, the Raptors shot 27% from the floor and 2 of 14 from 3. That is always helpful for a for an opposing defense, but Toronto did uh, enter this game as a good three-point shooting team for the season, top five in the league, so good uh, good on the Hawks to force them into some misses in the first half. And Trey Young had a double-double for the first time in his career before halftime, a 15-10, and 10, and also set a, set a season high, I should say, later on with with assists for the full game, but uh, he was pretty good, I thought, obviously in the first half of his contest, and there was some really nice signs from DeAndre Hunter and Bruno Fernando. The second half, a little bit interesting. The third quarter was uh, hideous to watch, I will say. Just a lot of, uh, it took it took forever. There was tons of fouls. The Hawks did start off well, a 10-4 to run to prompt a timeout. The actually, Hawks actually went, went up by nine early in the third quarter, and then um, Hunter got his fourth foul with eight minutes to go had to sit they brought in Bruno Fernando to go pretty big instead of Fernando and he actually got two fouls and quite literally one second of clock time um so he had five at that point in time so suddenly Bruno has five um Hunter has four early in the third quarter then they had to go they had to go to Damian Jones the rest of the third quarter as I said before Pierce referenced lineup stuff after the game he never said Damian's name but um certainly there was some stuff that the Hawks did not want to do that they actually ended up having to do because Damian played the rest of the quarter. It was definitely an adventure there. Um, the Hawks did play defense pretty well in the first you know, half of the third quarter. And I, I did make a note to say this out loud. I want to make sure I say it now. Trey Young's defense was actually good in this game for his standards by far. Uh, he was competitive. He was sort of in the way in a good way. And uh, good to see him competing in this game. But um, from the lineup perspective, it was pretty ugly. They actually went to a Teague Goodwin backcourt. Um, Brandon Goodwin got the nod ahead of Trey Young Graham in this game as sort of the emergency perimeter player. Didn't last all that long, but I thought that was no- that was noteworthy. It was a total mess of a quarter overall, though. Both teams were in the bonus with seven minutes to go in the quarter. There were nine. There were sorry. There was 18 fouls called total in the quarter. That's uh, about one and a half per minute. That is dreadful to watch. Obviously, and if you watch this game, you will definitely you will definitely remember that there was a lineup that was got they got actually got a, a lot of usage. That was Teague, Goodwin, Bembry, Carter, and Jones. That's not going to work really ever. There was one nice highlight for Vince Carter hitting a three and then having a block shot right after that to have the Hawks up by eight. But from that point forward, it was all Raptors for a long time. There, an 8-0 run by Toronto to tie the game. The Hawks didn't score for about the last uh, three minutes there, and then uh, they did make some. They did, they did at least make one free throw, but it was a 12-1 overall run to end the quarter, and it became an 18-3 overall run from the Raptors at the end of the third into the beginning of the fourth quarter. That, and that, at that point, Toronto was up by seven, and the Hawks were bleeding really all over the place <laughs> at that point. 
As the Raptors, I scored the first six points of the, of the fourth quarter. There was a nice big three from Reddish to stop the bleeding out of the time. That was, that was a big shot from Cam. And then Trey got to the line to, to make two free throws. Suddenly the Hawks were back within two, but that was the clo- that was the closest that they actually got the entire rest of the way, even with the late flurry that we're going to t- talk about in a second, because then, then it became the Norm Powell show. Norm Powell, I've always liked Norm Powell. He's not as good as he was in the fourth quarter of this game, but he went absolutely crazy. He hits back-to-back threes to go up by a nine-point margin for the Raptors, uh, forced another timeout by Lloyd Pierce. And then after the timeout, Powell hits another three to put Toronto up by 12, and then Ibaka hits one to go up by 15. So a 12-0 run by Toronto in about a minute and a half on four shot attempts, and they, they were all they were all four threes. Um, yeah, pretty brutal, and it actually got worse than from there because Cam then scored finally for the Hawks, and then Norm hit another three. So all that to say, Powell hit about four threes in like three minutes. It was just an absolute onslaught from Norm Powell. That basically, it felt like end of the game at that point in time, especially because after a dunk and transition from Terrence Davis and a three by Ibaka, it was 112 to 91. So a 21-point deficit with 4.30 to go. That is a proposition of probably 1% at best for the uh, team that is down 21 with 4.30 to go in the NBA. And uh, it seemed to be over at that point in time. I, I wrote a lot, I wrote that on Twitter. I wrote that in my notes. It felt like it was over. The Hawks hadn't scored. Sorry, the Hawks had two points in a four-minute stretch. And the Raptors were going crazy. It felt over. But then the Hawks did make it very interesting down the stretch. They got into 11 on a reddish three with about two minutes to go. And then Hollis Jefferson misses both free throws to keep the door open for Toronto, um, for Atlanta, I should say, against Toronto. And then Trey Young hits a four-point play with 139 to go, and suddenly it's a seven-point game. Even then, the Hawks were a pretty big underdog, down seven with 139 to go. Now, that's much, much better than down 21 with 430 to go, but still, Toronto has the ball up seven. They should be able to win the game. But Siakam throws the ball away. That was actually called wrong on the court. And then it was it was it was overturned by review, which is a nice thing by, by the officials there to get that call right eventually. Then, out of the stoppage there, Trey scores and then steals the steals the pass in the backcourt and scores again. So four points in about three seconds from Trey Young, and suddenly it's it's a three point game with plenty of time. It's one fourteen to one eleven. The Raptors did finally get across half court after sort of. By the way, Toronto was just terrible in this stretch, turning the ball over and allowing the Hawks to get, to get back in the game. But they finally, they finally did get it across half court. Van Vliet hits a jump shot to restore order a little bit with Toronto going up by five. Then Trey scores immediately again with a floater to get it back to three. The Hawks foul Van Vliet with 43 seconds to go, down by three. He makes only one of two to keep the door open. And then Collins scores immediately. So the Hawks are down two now with 34 seconds to go. So they didn't have to foul. It was a situation where they actually played defense. They were not. Forced to auto foul there, and that's a huge win. To go from 21 to 7 was huge, and then going from 7 down to 2 within about a minute, that's a big stretch as well. They did, though, eventually foul Van Vliet on a 3 with 14 seconds to go. That was that was John Collins, an unfortunate foul. I, I don't think it was a no-brainer call, but I think you know no one really argued the call for the Hawks in the moment. John knew seemingly right away that he had done it, and also he fouled out. I, I do think that if Lloyd Pierce still had his challenge, he would have used it on that call pretty obviously. I don't think he would have won that challenge, but at least it would, it would have been possible that he would have won that challenge. And Van Vliet definitely sold it. So if you're a Hawks fan, I know full well that people were frustrated by that, and I don't blame you. It was definitely a so a so so call, maybe even a pretty light call. But um, no, for what it's worth, no huge argument out of anybody after the game that I was aware of when it came to that foul call. But um, it was it was probably the biggest moment of the game, honestly, because if the Hawks don't get that foul call, they have a chance there. But uh, Van Vliet makes all three free throws to put the Haw- puts the Hawks down by five with 14 seconds to go. That pretty much ends it because Bruno gets a dunk out of the timeout, but then they're still they're still down by three. People were mad about that being a quick two. I don't love a quick two there, down five, but I do understand that it was a dunk. Like you take the three points, I understand that. They had to foul from there. Man, Luke makes both, and that was kind of the end of the game. But still, 
the Hawks, for what it's for what it's worth, down 21 with 4:30 to go, and they were within two with 34 seconds left, and didn't even have to foul. So that was a huge, massive comeback. Credit to the Hawks for making every play in that run until the very end. And you know, it happened sometimes. The wind was out of their sails at that point after Collins committed the foul. But there you go on that. Um, to the individual, sorry, to the uh, big picture stuff in terms of the um, stats stuff like that in, in this game, turnovers were the biggest problem for the Hawks. Atlanta finished with a 60% true shooting, and that is well above league average. That's very, very good. And at home, you're going to win more more often than not when you shoot when you shoot the ball like that. 49% from the floor, 36% from three. They got to the line 33 times. They were very efficient offensively at 26 assists. The problem was 24 turnovers that led to 33 points for the Raptors. It was eight in the first quarter, so it did improve after that, but still too many. Pierce said that after the game as well, but that was that was the biggest swing point in this contest. Also, the Raptors offense was not particularly awesome. I mean, it was pretty decent by the end, but but Toronto basically just had offensive rebounds. They took care of the ball at a better rate than the Hawks did, and they got to the line 43 times. So, as I said before, a pretty hideous game to watch in some respects with 76 free throws attempted by these two teams combined. And the Raptors got the end of the uh, the positive end of the stick on that one with 10 additional uh, attempts. But still, you know, the Hawks did a pretty good job on both ends of the floor here, aside from the first quarter defense, which was really, 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 really ugly. The fourth quarter looks bad because they allowed 39 points, but it was basically just from them having to play fast and foul and do all that kind of stuff. I thought the Hawks defense was actually pretty good after the first quarter. And the offense, it was the third quarter that kind of plagued them offensively in addition to a couple just a couple couple dry spells the Hawks have this propensity this year to have a couple of dry spells per game and if they can avoid those they usually win and if they don't they they lose and that happened to happen in this spot uh, to the individual portion of the podcast real quickly here you know a lot of positives I will say the bench was not one of them uh, there really only one guy on the bench that I thought actually played well um, but the rest of the guys struggled mightily. Bembry, I thought, was not awful. Uh, three points, two steals, an assist, three rebounds. But a couple of just boneheaded plays from DeAndre. It was not his best night by any means. I thought he was definitely below average by his standards. He wasn't dreadful, but wasn't particularly good. Vince Carter, nine minutes. Did, did make two threes, which is why he's on the floor. But, he, but the team was minus 16 in those nine minutes. That's not all on Vince by any means. But he wasn't a huge help aside from the threes and the one block shot that he had. Brandon Goodwin had two minutes of play. The Hawks were actually plus three with that T Goodwin uh, point guard duo, but that was not necessarily because of him. Teague only, only played 11 minutes. That's something I definitely want to circle in this game is that Teague was not a big factor at all, even with minutes. Um, part of that in the second quarter was probably the fact that they wanted to play big and it was actually kind of working. Part of that was the fouls that he had in the first quarter. But Teague not playing a whole lot is definitely something I want to uh, make note of one more time there. 11 minutes for Jeff Teague. And then the one positive off the bench was Bruno Fernando, 12 points, four rebounds, did have five fouls, but was plus eight in 16 minutes, was six of seven from the floor. Did miss his only free throw attempt, but I thought Bruno was active. I thought he was aggressive. There were a couple of, you know, rookie plays from Bruno that's going to happen sometimes. He definitely plays with some uh, reckless abandon in a bad way at times, but I thought Bruno was actually, you know, overall a positive in this game, and he showed a lot of flashes of what the Hawks definitely see in him uh, looking ahead to the future. In contrast, Damian Jones was brutal. Um, I will say, you know, the Hawks were minus 13 in his minutes. It was not all Damian. I have to say that out loud. It was not all Damian, uh, but he was not good in this game. In fact, he was probably the single most destructive player for the Hawks. In fact, I think almost definitely he was in this game. And I think all things equal, if Bruno had not had foul trouble, Damian would not have played this much and may not have even played that all in second in the second half. I, 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 t- I tweeted this even, even in the first half before Damian's struggles in the third quarter. 
I am all aboard the giving Bruno minutes train. Um, when Alex Lynn is back and playing, which hopefully will be on Wednesday for the Hawks, Lynn is still the best center that they have available. But if all things are equal, Fernando would be the guy, the guy that you would lean to in terms of the, being a part of the future stuff. And they're not even equal. I, I think Bruno's just a more talented player, the better player already probably. So, uh, you know, Damian playing more minutes than Bruno was almost certainly driven by fouls, and I thought Damian was very bad. I, I don't want to pile on him, but uh, he struggled mightily in this game, and we'll leave it there for now. To the starters in this spot, Kevin Herter was pretty quiet. He had a couple of big threes in the first half, then really cooled off, got in, got in some foul trouble, threw off his rhythm a little bit, had four fouls, and uh, didn't play a ton after that. Uh, nine points, seven rebounds, three assists for Herter. He's three of, 12, three of 12 from the floor, so definitely cooled off. Uh, he had the one hot stretch, but that was basically it, three of nine from the three-point range. It was good to see him take nine threes again, um, but other than that, there wasn't too much happening for Kevin. Uh, Cam Reddish was you know, up and down offensively. Five of 13 from the floor is not what you want to see, including two of seven from two-point range, but still three of six from three. Good to see Kevin, uh, Cam continuing to shoot the ball very well in January. He's up, he's up above 40% for January. Basically, that's you know all the makes for the most part have been in three games, but still um, Cam is shooting the ball with more confidence. It looks better. His, foot, his footwork looks better when he's shooting, and uh, that's a very, very good thing, all things considered. 13 points, 8 rebounds for Reddish, 2 steals as well. I thought he was aggressive defensively. I think he's always playing well defensively at this point in time. So, uh, you know, all things considered, he was not fantastic offensively, but certainly was a, uh, a positive contributor overall when you factor in his defense. DeAndre Hunter was very good. Uh, Pierce said that for the game as well. He had 13 points, 6 rebounds, 4 assists, 2 block shots, and a steal. Was plus 13 at game best for anyone on the Hawks. Um, only 27 minutes because of foul trouble, and he fought out of this game, as did Collins. But uh, Hunter would have played more, and I think if he had played more, the numbers would look a little bit a little bit more robust. It was one of his better games of the season, though, I thought. Um, and good to see him follow up a, a nice game on Saturday with, a, with an even better one here. And, uh, you know, a lot of positives for DeAndre, including, and for me, I would say especially, the defensive havoc that he was causing, just the aggressiveness that he, has, he was playing with defensively. That's one of the knocks on Hunter's defense, is that he's not always aggressive and, like, game-changing defensively. And he had some nice plays in this game. John Collins, I thought was good as well. 17 points, 11 rebounds, and three block shots in 37 minutes. It was 8-11 from the floor. Collins, by the way, now, with his, with, with his three blocks in this game, has as many blocks this season in 18 games. He has 39 blocks in 18 games, so at more than two per game. He has as many blocks this year as he did in all 61 games last season. Now, it became a running joke last year that he was just not blocking shots ever, so it's a little bit less impressive when you consider that, you know, last year was a really was a really big disappointment for his block shots, but this year, he's been so much better around the rim, um, attacking defenders, uh, sorry, attacking offensive players at the rim, using his verticality, using his burst. I think Collins has made great strides defensively that we talked about on this podcast a number of times, but the block shots are a big thing. It's not the only thing I would caution people into overrunning blocks a little bit, but still, you want to get them, and Collins has been getting them this year. And he was good on the whole with a double-double, 17-11 and 11 with three blocks. You know, you can't ask for much, much more than that from John. I know he had the bad moment at the very end with a foul, but it wasn't an egregious play. And Pierce even praised him for just being able to get get back out there because, uh, you know, it was sort of a second effort play by Collins. He made the play, just kind of overextended himself a little bit there. And you can't really knock him too much for that. Lastly, Trey Young. Fantastic, obviously. 42 points. 15 assists, a season high for Trey. Six rebounds. Did have seven turnovers, but got to the line 21 times. By the way, that was the most of any Hawk since Steve Smith in 1999. Uh, I was not that old at that point in time in 1999. So it's been a while since anyone did that for the Hawks. He made 18 of the 21. Pretty impressive there from Trey. He was 11 of 20 from the floor as well. Two of seven from three. 
couple highlight reel plays. As always, his passing was off the charts. As I said before, his defense was actually better than normal in this game as well. Like, he's had better shooting nights than this from three, obviously. But other than that, and the turnovers, I guess, you can't really knock anything that Trey did here. 39 minutes kind of speaks for itself, and he just made every play, especially in the fourth quarter when they were coming back. It was a lot of Trey Young did this, Trey Young did that, Trey Young did that. And uh, he was the engine. Um, obviously not, not creating all the havoc defensively on his own, but being a part of it. Pierce said that as well. Just, you know, Trey was on the court during that during that run, making havoc on the, on the defensive end of the floor. So um, another great night from Trey Young. And obviously, you know, 42 and 15 kind of speaks for itself, but honestly, he did play that well. It was not a... It was not a numbers game. Pierce said that as well after the game, just talking about how you know his numbers are kind of always there, but he 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 did a lot of stuff beyond that, and I would definitely agree with that. It was a good performance from Trey in 39 minutes of action. So, all that to say, you know, all things considered, the Hawks didn't play incredibly well. Uh, Pierce referred to this as a good bad game. That was the way he that was the way he said. It. I would definitely agree with that. It was interesting the fact that you know the Hawks had some ugly moments in this game. They also had some really high highs. And the end result was a competitive effort against a better basketball team than you are at home. And uh, definitely entertaining in the fourth quarter. You know, kind of a slog at other points in time, but still, you know, a five-point loss to the Raptors. If I tell you that coming into the game, it's probably a good result. You know, the Hawks covered the spread, usually a good result. And when it comes to um, whether you play well or not, that's usually a pretty good indication. And the Raptors, you know, didn't didn't shoot the ball great in the first half. Which let the Hawks kind of hang around. But Atlanta did play well, competed well. And I think it's a pretty pretty positive overall takeaway from Atlanta. The Hawks do not play until Wednesday now. They, they host the Clippers on Wednesday. Pierce said that they will not practice actually on Tuesday. They're kind of having a community day. They're going to the King Center, et cetera, et cetera. So we'll see them back on the court on Wednesday against the Clippers. We'll see if, by the way, if Kawhi Leonard plays in that game because uh, the Clippers play on Tuesday in a high-profile matchup against the Mavericks. So it is possible because Kawhi does not really play back-to-backs that he actually could be sitting on Wednesday. I will not tell you that's going to happen for sure, but if you follow the pattern, he's more likely to play, I would imagine, in Dallas than he is in Atlanta. And if that happens, the Hawks will have, obviously, an easier an easier path to an upset victory if Kawhi is not in uniform for the Clippers. So we'll see if that happens. And, of course, Lou Williams, when it kind of zone, will be, in the, will be in the building for that one. Fun should be had by all. Um, last thing, programming note here. I'm actually traveling for work as of Wednesday. Unfortunately, this is what happens when you have a day job sometimes. But um, I'm not going to be at the game on Wednesday. I do have Zach Hood, a Peachtree Hoop, is going to be attending that game for me, but potentially to get some sights and sounds for the podcast, for the website, etc. But I will be watching, and uh, we'll be and we'll be recording the podcast remotely after the game on Wednesday, and we'll go from there the rest of the weekend. The Hawks then go to Oklahoma City for a game on Friday, and then back home against the Wizards at 6 o'clock on Sunday. So mark your calendars, etc. One more time here, thank you for listening to the podcast. Episode 700 is kind of surreal in a lot of ways, so uh, thank you for joining me on this fantastic journey through Hawks basketball land. And uh, subscribe, tell a friend, we'll see everybody next time.